Hi, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. I'm Whitney Wiley. And I'm Greer McVeigh. Hi, Whitney. What's up, Greer? Oh, my God. The temperature? <laughs> the temperature <laughs> is the best for sure. All week it's been just, you know, hot. And, and we haven't week. gotten we haven't gotten where we're going. So oh, no. Just for the record. <laughs> And I looked this up, the record, well, you're somewhere else, but the record in Sacramento is 114 degrees. It's going to be 113 degrees in a couple of days. Mm. So we'll see, we might get a new record or tie the record. They say 113, maybe it'll be hotter, we'll see. Well, you know, because I had been doing so much traveling over the last few weeks, I literally have been, I don't know how many, 12 states or 10 states or something. And from literally from Hawaii to New York. And I just, I was like staying like one step ahead of the weather each, you know, like they were having floods down in the South and certainly in Mississippi. And I, you know, that's a whole other story what's going on in Mississippi. But that aside, it's like, but there are floods over here and the hurricanes over here and heat waves over there and hot. And I like managed to zigzag my way across the country and miss all of that. And then now it's like, it has like sort of caught up with me. And I, and so I came home because I was gone for so long. I was like, Oh, this will be great. Cause I have solar panels. So I'm sending all kinds of power to the grid so I could just enjoy, you know, I could like tap into some of those reserves that I have. And Not so much. I well, I pulled up my uh my energy account. I don't want to say the name of the company that provides my uh gas and electric here in the Pacific region. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like looking at the thing and it showed that I had like a deficit on several days that I was like not even in town. It's like, what's that about? So I'm like, oh, I better not use it. Yeah, it's so it's like it shows it in the, you know, in the green, like you have a median, like a baseline. Mm -hmm. So it'll be green down below. Those are days you're sending power to the grid. And then the line will be above. It's a bar graph, right? And the lines will be above the, the, the baseline on days when you're using it. And obviously you want them to sort of balance out or you certainly want it to be, uh, you know, in your favor. Right. And that's what keeps you from having high utility bills. Well, it's like up there in the, I'm using electric space on days that I would like for a week. And I'm like, I, nothing is running. I mean, literally like I have a, an energy efficient refrigerator and a, I don't even think I have a clock. I don't even know what, like, maybe I have a night light on in a bathroom. Was there a like, computer that was left behind? No, I my computer. Did your TV me. turn on and off automatically? No. I, so I'm like, maybe somebody's, you know, creeping up in my house. I heard a story recently about people living in the attic. So I'm like, maybe I need to go up there. But if, oh, they're, up there, they, if they're up there, they probably died. That's all kinds of broke. scary. That's the, yeah, that's not cool at all. Yeah, if you hear like, you know, steps in the night or voices or, you know, anything, you might want to, you know, check well, out your attic. Especially for you, you got a brand new house. There shouldn't be any spirits up in 
your rafters. Well, just there saying. definitely shouldn't be any spirits. I'm just that saying. aren't like vodka and tequila. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, I was like, and I thought about you. I was like, well, Whitney's got a pool. I do have to get in a pool. And so, it's a pool that nobody wants to get into because it's cold. So now you know, on any day that it's 100 degrees, degrees <laughs> I will come get so in your it's probably pool. boiling, right? With that, it's probably boiling. So I just want to say that this is a special episode. It this is something that we have been talking about doing and are looking to do more frequently. So we are actually recording this video as well as audio. So if you are used to listening to us on the traditional podcast platforms, um, we are happy that you are here, but we want to make sure we acknowledge those who are watching us for the very first time. So we are here hey. on video <laughs> and we have a special guest with us today, uh, which is one of the reasons that we're doing video. We wanted to uh, have this conversation so that you could see us. But again, we're going to be looking to do more video in the future. Um, don't know if it will always be when we have guests or if we're just going to switch and add that platform normally. So what are you thinking about that, Greer? Video. I think we just need to... Uh, just know, do it. Just do it. <laughs> and catch, them, catch them slipping when they're not when they least expect it. It's like always, you know, expect the unexpected. So, you know, who knows? We, we will come up with a rhyme or reason as to when and how we do it. But for now, it's just like, when it makes sense. So it, I love when it. When it makes sense, absolutely. It just, though, requires that we get out of our pajamas. Or not. <laughs> Maybe we could have pajamas. We are not having a pajama. We could do what, pajama a pajama party. party? Yeah. We could do that. We, we could make could. each episode <laughs> a pajama party. We could change so usually, the name. We could change the name of the show to pajama party. Yeah. Usually when we're doing it on on audio only, I am, you know, in my pajamas and curlers and, and all that. So it took a lot of work to pull it together. You know, oh, during God. the pandemic, I think everybody, you know, makeup expired and you know, people just the your normal. Oh, how fun. Routine. I just got I just got a uh, a new speaking of makeup, a new bottle of foundation. My oh. favorite, my favorite foundation. One of the members of my Ragnar team works for a major makeup company. And mm. so here, this is how long it had been since I'd seen her. We had planned to do another Ragnar. She was giving me the foundation then oh. <laughs> and it got canceled. And so when I saw her a couple of weeks ago, she's like, I did not forget. Is Tiramis it still any good? Tiramis, it was brand new, unopened. It works. I don't know. You tell me. I mean, I, well, I don't know. I mean, they have an expiration date, but that's but I think that goes maybe with if it's unopened. Open, I think, yeah. yeah. So, which I, I don't up. know if you know this. Do we have this conversation on bottles, particularly like makeup and cosmetics and things mm -hmm. like that? There's a little number on the bottom of the bottle. So, on the label, there is like a little triangle, and the For triangle will have recycling. a recycling. No, no, it no. will have a, a little number. It might be three, six or three. I think it's three, six, nine or 12, 
that's the number of months that the thing is good once yeah. you open it. Well, oh, okay. It's no, a number thought, of months. I thought that was a recycling number. It's, it's a little different than the recycling. Okay. So if you find a, say now, if we had, if we plan these things, instead of having these <laughs> impromptu conversations, I would have a bottle of something, but you might see it on like shampoo or makeup. Okay. I, I think will pay closer and stuff like attention that. to that. I yeah. Closer Look at it. I now the problem though, is it tells you how many months, but it doesn't tell you which month you opened it. Right? So you have to make a little note on there. So you right? have, to make, You'll have to make a note. So that's good that's to know. That's a useless yeah. trivia for today. I See, I was going to go in the other direction and say you learn something new every day. Okay. So see, that was the brilliant trivia that you needed to know. <laughs> and that actually is good because you should not, especially with makeup, you should not be using products that are old because it breeds bacteria and all that other stuff. So Fair it enough. wasn't useless. It was useful. And yes, you learn something new every day. I now, what, what do we have in store today? So we have a guest and I'm going to bring her on stage right now. Um, so welcome to the stage, Danielle. This is Danielle Blassett Hyden and she's a Hi, former Danielle. colleague of Hi. mine um, from when I was a lobbyist. So she's from my former world, but she still is in my current world. And she is the currently the deputy executive director of a statewide municipal utility association, which represents electric. Uh, maybe even your electric provider, Greer, maybe not, I don't know, <laughs> and water providers in California. She's smart. She's dedicated to her work and her family, but that's not why we have her as a guest on Life Lemons and Lemon Drops. I don't want to steal all the thunder, and we're going to talk about her story. We're going to talk about her life, uh, some of the challenges she's had, and what she is doing with her life and her journey now that is going to be helping other people. And so again, I want to welcome you, Danielle, to Life Lemons and Lemon Drops. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. And Danielle, can I just can I just say that some of my favorite episodes of Life Lemons and Lemon Drops are the ones when we welcome guests and gotten to hear their stories. We haven't had a guest on for quite a while. So I am really no, pre no pressure, right? No pressure whatsoever. You know, you've got to make up for like two years of no, seriously. <laughs> um, but no, I'm really excited to have you here because I just think that these um that we get such good feedback from our listeners when we have guests because we're able to, to sort of tap into some, you know, some other kinds of experiences and, and experiences and emotion that we don't always get to tap into. So I really appreciate your being here. Thank you so much. And so before we dig in, so I mentioned that Danielle and I are former colleagues, but you guys have something in common as well. You both are um, have been single parents and you single parents who ushered your male children to Eagle Scout. Yeah. There was a time though when Brody was 16 and I was not sure that he was going to make it. <laughs> well, Donovan definitely had 
Well, no, I take that back. There was never a time that I didn't think he was going to make it because he was going to do it if it killed me. <laughs> if it killed him. Well, that's true. That's true. Same. I mean, it, killed him. it was like, I've done as much as I've put into this, you're yeah. going to finish. So, yeah. you know, I'd never had any doubt. But certainly when he turned, I think he was 17 when he got, when he finally did it. And there were a number, you know, and he had a few months to spare, but there were, you know, a group of boys that were like about to do it. And I was like, what does Donovan have left to do? And I pulled it together and we literally those last two months burned the midnight oil. It was like, you're going to do it and you're going to do it with this group of, you know, some close friends. You're going to do it with them. And, and he did. So that's yeah. great. But it's congratulations to you. Yeah, thanks. And we had an assistant scoutmaster uh, who said the boys get involved with the car fumes and the perfumes, and that makes it so that they end up delaying, and that's why a lot of them don't end up as Eagle Scouts when they're 16 because they get all you know, yeah. engaged in, in driving and girls and, and all and that. That's why so, you want to do so much of it early on, right? Yeah, you were, exactly. uh, so you guys were involved from Cub Scouts, correct? Yes. Yeah. Brody started when he was, uh, I don't want to, I don't know if it's Wolf Scout or it was third grade. Okay. So that's he got involved and, and okay. I was involved as well. So it was something that we did together, which was pretty fun. There weren't a lot of women. I mean, in Cub Scouts there were, but definitely not in Boy Scouts. So yeah. it was, a unique experience. Yeah, Boy Scouts, you're almost like turning your kid over to, you know, it was yeah. like, uh, is, are you sure? But then I got to a point as a single mom, and you might be able to, uh, to relate to this. I got to a point where they were like, yeah, just drop the kids off. And I was like, you know, did I have to slow down the car? <laughs> you know, especially with the camping trips. It was like, oh my gosh, I've got a weekend free. I think yeah. every camping trip, every, you know, 50 miler, 10 miler, yeah, go. It'll be yeah. great for your development. Am I? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lots yeah. of adventures. Yeah. Well, that's good. So I, I just wanted to, that you guys had that in common. I didn't want anyone to feel left out in our conversation. So <laughs> if, if, so here's another thing, if you are, you know, guiding your young man or I guess woman now, right? Because yeah. the scouts are open to both genders or all genders. Um, if you are ushering someone and you've got a question, maybe Greer and or Danielle could be of service in helping you to answer some questions on that journey. But we are here to talk about Danielle's and her health journey. So Danielle, tell us a little bit about your life before, you know, aside from the Boy Scouts, before your first health challenge. And then uh, let's talk about what that was and how you have moved through that. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and you know, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, well, I'm 46. So I was, you know, a child of the, the 80s and 90s. I grew up in Northern California, have lived here my whole life. And uh, in Butte and Glen County. So You're from like Chico or somewhere, yeah. right? 
Yeah, I'm from Chico. And uh, well, I mean, my grandparents and my dad would say I'm from Orland because that's where I, you know, really kind of grew up. But then my later years was spent in Chico. Came to UC Davis for college. Not much in Orland, but but (laughs) Orland is nice. But a lot of little far little ranchettes and things. Orland is a nice little. That's that's true. A nice little town with like what one stop sign, not even a stoplight. No, they they have a stoplight now. In fact, they might even have two. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I. I came to to UC Davis for college. I put myself through college, you know, worked full time, had an internship with the governor's office, and that kind of catapulted me into my career uh, because I was working with Governor Wilson and uh, all of the, you know, legislative staff there really got excited and engaged in the political process. And so then I started working for a political consultant and then quickly moved my way into advocacy. And I've worked for associations for about 20 years now. And uh, I'm a wife and a mom. Uh, I wasn't always a wife. I've, you know, I feel like I've been a mom since I was 24. My son's 22 now. Uh, but uh, I've been married for about five years. And, and we live in Folsom. And that's, uh, that's a little bit about me apart from all the health business that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And so when you had, and I don't know if it's necessarily your first health challenge, but um, when you had the the health challenge that sort of, you know, will be what we're talking about today and moving forward, you and I were working together, right? We were working for the same employer at the time. And I remember um, it like it was like one day you're healthy and the next day there was this, you know, life had changed. So tell us a little bit about that. Probably wasn't quite as, you know, black and white as I just made it. But tell us about, you know, going from, you know, going in to see the doctor and things are one way. And then all of a sudden your your life changes. Yeah, so I was 31 and I, uh, there was a lump in my breast and I was 31. So I didn't think that people got breast cancer that early in life. I'd heard of, you know, some isolated examples, but um, it wasn't a regular occurrence. So at first I was like, oh, you know, let's just, I, I just, I want it out of my body. I don't want to have to worry about this becoming anything. So you know, my doctor said it was benign, you know, they're like, oh, this is no problem. It's going to be fine. And then I get a call uh, from the doctor and they're like, we need you to come in right away. I'm like, okay, you just need to tell me what's happening. Like, don't make me drive somewhere not knowing what's going on. And so then the doctor was like, you have cancer. We, it's a cancerous tumor. And not only that, we cut it in half when we took out the lump. So now we have to go back in to take out the rest. And so I went, I was crying and went into my boss's office, who was amazing and is amazing, and uh, said, I've got to go. I've got cancer. And she's like, okay, whatever you need. And so then that started my first journey of going through breast cancer. And uh, no one, and it was a very rare breast cancer too. And to this day, you know, now that I know what I know, it's actually very plausible and likely that I would have had cancer at 31. But at that time, everyone was shocked 
that I had canceled so early. And can you, can you clarify? So you had the initial, it wasn't a diagnosis of cancer. You, you had a tumor. So then you had a procedure to remove the tumor. They took a portion of it, it ran it through, di diagnosed mm -hmm. it or ran it, you know, analyzed yeah. it and then said, oh, that tissue that we took is cancerous. Yeah. And we, but we only took a portion of it. So now we've got to go back and get the rest. Is that? Yeah. They, they thought, yeah, they thought they got everything, but okay. then because, because they, there were cancer cells on the very edge of it, then okay. they knew that they didn't get the entire thing, which I got to tell you when they, they actually took it out in a doctor's office and they put a, um, they put a, a sheet or whatever, said, don't look down. Oh my God. Not a problem. I'm not gonna look down. You mean they did it like a, an outpatient, just sort of yeah. like a like you might do a biopsy or just yeah. like yeah, let's just cut you open and do this. It wasn't yeah. like a major surgery or anything. No, the second one, of course, was okay. I was out and they did all that, but the first time, no, it was just novice because they just thought it was gonna be a benign mass and there was gonna be no problem and I was gonna move on and everything was okay. gonna be fine. Okay. Yeah. And so it didn't turn out that way. And so. Yeah. So I had, I was diagnosed with, it was medullary carcinoma, which was a rare cancer, which made it even like, Hey, what's going on? So I did chemo and radiation because that improved my odds of surviving, which my son was seven at the time. So I was like, whatever, I will do whatever uh, to make sure that I can continue to provide and be there for my son lost all my hair. Um, I, you know, that was actually one of the most difficult, I mean, I could deal with the pain, but one of the most difficult things was, you know, because I love my hair and I think as women, you know, we identify and, you know, a hairstyle and hair is a big deal. So losing that was, um, a major, just a major emotional moment for me. And then I, after my treatment, I was tested for the BRCA gene, uh, because they're like, hey, this is not normal for you to have A, this type of cancer and B, have it so young. But then I came back as negative for BRCA. So then I just went along my way and said, oh, that was just a blip in time. And that uh, all came to a crashing stop when I turned 40. And then uh, it was like right before my 10 year anniversary of being a survivor when I was diagnosed again. So can you explain to our listeners what is the BRCA gene and what is what would um, having it signify? If you did have it, what would that have meant? So the BRCA gene was one of the first genes they discovered that had a correlation to increased chance for reproductive cancers, um, breast, uh, ovarian, uterine cancer. And so there's actually been a number of celebrities, uh, I think Angelina Jolie, Christina Applegate, who have the gene. And what happens when you, if you find out you have it is if you don't already have, you know, had a mastectomy or a hysterectomy, they recommend that because it's nearly a hundred percent that you're going to get some type of reproductive cancer in your lifetime. So I think Angelina Jolie had everything taken out and uh 
So it is. And as I recall, though, she got some pushback. She got there was a little backlash because I think people sort of suggested that she was that she had done that for purely sort of selfish reasons or for, you know, for her career versus for her health. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a very personal decision to mm-hmm. have those types of major surgeries and to do that in the spotlight. I definitely would not have wanted to be in that position. So yeah, it is it is something that people don't understand. But it, when you're given this diagnosis and have such a high chance of having cancer in the future, you know, I know for me, had I know had I known um, then what I know now, I would have had the same thing. I would have had a hysterectomy and a mastectomy to basically just remove my chances of getting cancer in the, those parts of my body. Okay. And then you said the reproductive, or yeah, obviously. So anything that that women. So it's unique to women. Yes. Well, actually. Men okay. can have the BRCA gene too, okay. Um, because they and can men can actually get breast cancer. So mm-hmm. it's it, but it's just that. I mean, obviously, you know the the you know men don't have the other parts, but they can get breast cancer. That's even more rare, but it is possible to have the okay. the BRCA gene. Okay. Yeah. So then and then. <laughs> So you, oh, and, the, and then what? <laughs> and then what happened? Yeah, so you had the, so you had a surgery to then go back and remove the rest yes. of the tissue, but not a mastectomy. Right. I they okay. had I had what's called a lumpectomy, okay. and I was only uh, you know 31. So to me, I was like, I'm not ready because I didn't know. And so what what ended up happening is when I was I had just turned 41. And I was going in for my routine mammogram and I was so excited because it was 10 years and it was going to be, you know, just the next milestone in my life. And then it came back as an unusual mammogram. And then I went through all the processes. You do ultrasounds and biopsies and all that. And then they found out I had breast cancer again. It was a different type of breast cancer. And so it wasn't a recurrence, but it was in the same breast and in the same area. So then the doctor like, whoa, something is happening. So then now, instead of just testing for BRCA, when you get a genetic panel, they test for 27 and probably even more now um, genetic mutations. And it came back that I was positive for uh, a mutation in the TP53 gene, which is called the guardian of the genome. Um, I, I liken it to most people have knights in shining armor that protect their cells from turning into cancer. Well, my knight is sitting on the side of the road drinking a beer. So it's still there, but it's just, you know, he's not really paying attention. And so that lets, you know, cancer cells through. So, uh, so I found, so this just turned into this two years of absolute nightmare scenario because I was going through treatment. I had a full mastectomy and I had to have, um, well, actually for my breast cancer, it was just a full mastectomy and then some medication after that. But then my son decided, because he was 17 at the time, I said, you can test or not test, but you know, I, I think it's in your best interest too. So he tested, he was positive, which let me just tell you, 
knowing that you've given something like that to your child is just, I mean, there were many a tearful night um, that I spent and knowing that, you know, this could potentially happen to him. So we got our first full body MRIs in January of 2018. They found a brain tumor in Brody and they um, discovered I had a rapidly growing what they thought was a um, fibroid at the time. So then February, 2018, Brody had brain surgery against all odds. It was a benign tumor. So, you know, thank heavens that that was the case. And then two months later I had a hysterectomy and then they found out that, that, that I had a uterine cancer that wasn't a fibroid and it was so rare. It was uterine, uterine lamiosarcoma and it happens in six of every million women. So are you playing the lottery numbers? Can you share those with us? My goodness. Um, so yeah, it was it was crazy. So then, you know, and I had to have chemo for that cancer because that has a really high rate of recurrence. Um, but I'm happy to say, other than a minor skin cancer in 2020, it's been over four years and I've had no signs of recurrence, which is a big deal because typically if the uterine cancer is going to come back, then it will happen in the first two or three years. So how does the uterine natural. cancer come back if you've had a hysterectomy? What is, I mean, what is, what form is that? Basically it would be another sarcoma. Uh, sarcoma is like a soft tissue cancer. And so it would just, uh, my doctor said he got clean margins, which means there's healthy cells outside of where they took the cancer cells. But if there was an errant cancer cell that didn't get killed by the chemotherapy, then that could continue to grow again. And going back to the analogy of the night on the side of the road, um, he's not really paying attention. And then that could replicate and then become another tumor. So I, I like monitor all the I time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have scans, I have blood work, I have, you know, but the thing is, I would get a scan every month you know, to, I mean, I don't care about, oh, might be a false positive that all that, um, all those uh, news stories and everything about concerns about false positive. I would rather have a dozen false positives than miss something. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And so, so now the, all the female parts that could be cancerous, um, you don't have any of those, but you have a gene mutation, which means what for you and other parts of your body. So it, the TP53 mutation, um, there's a lot of what they call core cancers that typically show up. Um, I, I, I feel very fortunate for both myself and Brody because uh, children are a lot more likely to have cancer when they have a TP53 TP53 mutation, but neither of us did. But some of the top uh, top kinds of cancer are sarcomas, just general sarcomas. Um, you know, bone cancer, brain cancer. Um, so, like colon cancer is another one. So I get to have colonoscopies every two years. So, woo. Um, <laughs> so. But, uh, but again, you know, just scan me whenever, do whatever you want, you know, to, to catch it early. Cause that's really what it's about when you have a mutation like this for both 
both Brody and I, it's all about early detection. We can't, there's nothing to prevent the cancer from happening other than living a healthy lifestyle. It's just constant monitoring so you can catch it early. So what well, are the, some of the things that you, you mentioned healthy lifestyle? What are some of the things that are recommended to help sort of offset the, I, I guess having the genetic mutation gives you a higher propensity, but it doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen, right? So yeah. th if there are things that you can do to bring that risk factor down, what are some of the things that are recommended? Well, my gynecological oncologist, every time I ask him about that, it just says, live your best life. I was like, okay. Um, well, that but, might not be very healthy. I, I mean, depending on your, your perspective, it's like, oh, yeah. that's um, permission but, to do a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, I think generally just what all of us strive for in living a healthy lifestyle, you know, I don't smoke. Um, I don't do drugs. I, you know, I probably drink too many glasses of wine, but, you know, I also have to live my best life. So, um, I, uh, you know, and eating well, eating lots of fruits and vegetables. There's certain foods that are supposed to be good for you, better for you if you um, have a propensity or trying to keep cancer at bay, um, like berries and things like that. And then, of course, exercise. That's always looked at as something that uh, can help just, you know, keep your whole body healthy. And well, not being overly stressed, right? Yes. Yeah. Stress is a, stress is a big one. Well, now how do you keep your stress level at bay or keep it down when, I mean, there has to be a constant fear or concern, healthy, even if it's a healthy level, but just knowing, I mean, the moment you feel the slightest twinge or cough or, you know, whatever, I mean, how do you keep it under control? So it's better sometimes than others. Sometimes it's very hard. Um, you know, like for instance, Brody just came to me today and he's like, yeah, you know, kind of in my chest, it kind of hurts a little bit. And, you know, and he looks at me, he's like, I think it's just a muscle mom because it feels like a muscle strain. He's like, it's not a tumor. But of course, you know, that's exactly what you go towards if you feel anything weird or I started having some vertigo and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a brain tumor. So uh, it, it, you know, it, unfortunately the, you know, nine times out of 10, it's not going to be that. But Do you head to the doctor each time you have a, a symptom of something? Well, Are you I get monitored so much that, okay. and that's what I, and that's kind of what I remind myself when I start to really freak out or worry is like I had a clean brain MRI a month ago and I had a clean full body MRI um, in March. So it's, it's not likely that it's, there's a tumor. If there was no tumor in July or August in my brain, then it's unlikely that all of a sudden, not only am I going to have a brain tumor, but it's going to be affecting me by giving me vertigo. So that's why the constant monitoring is so helpful because then that always gives me kind of a grounding and something to look back to and say, you know, okay, it's, it's probably nothing, but I do probably call the doctor more than the average human. <laughs> so you've, I mean, you've talked a lot about a lot of different kinds of cancers and different kinds of treatments and different kinds of, of um, 
the, the genes and mutations and all that. What, for our listeners, what is sort of the, where do you start? What is What does it mean? Where's the information? How do they take what you're telling them right now and process that? What is What does it mean to them? Where do they find information? What should they do with this information? Well, that's a great segue <laughs> because I, I, you know, when I was going through all my cancer battles, I, you know, and Whitney was among the, the uh, fiercest of champions for me. I had a she huge- She does that. I just yeah. want to say she does <laughs> I had a huge support system and uh, bigger than I ever thought it would be. And, uh, and so something that I wanted to do to help give back is to start a foundation where it could, it could be an avenue for people to uh, get more information and understand what genetic mutations are all about. Um, advertise that personally, I think um, uh, people should get tested if they can get tested because there are so many genes that have such a huge consequence on in your life. And uh, also provide support for people who may not have the support out there uh, for fighting cancer because it can be lonely sometimes. Even if you have a big support system, there are, you know, nights where, you know, you're sitting alone in your bed and it's um, very frightening to think about what could happen. So that's why I started the Hergen Foundation or the Hereditary and Genetic Cancer Foundation um, to help people like me and Brody that have cancer-causing genetic mutations. So what does the foundation do or what is it your hope that this foundation will do for people like you and others? Well, I want to bring awareness that and and provide you know information. So, if you do get tested and it comes up with a TP53 mutation, BRCA, there's one called Lynch syndrome, check two. You know, there's a lot of these different mutations. I'm hoping that this this foundation can serve as a resource where you could go to the website and get details as to what it means for your mutation and how you can engage with your doctors, what you need to be asking for, because it is, if you're not familiar with the medical space, it can be really, um, it can be really daunting to, to try and, and figure out how to move forward. And then also, scans may not be covered by insurance. You know, if you're going to, uh, with your child who's having surgery, uh, you may need to stay in a hotel nearby and maybe uh, there isn't funding for that. And so we want to provide financial resources to patients uh, during during their cancer battle or their family's cancer battle. Um, and then also research, you know, it's uh, we want to provide funding to help with these rare cancers. Uh, the symbol of our logo is an elephant because um, elephants have like 50 some odd copies of the TP53 gene. And it's very rare that uh, elephants get cancer and they think that there's that connection is there. So they're trying to figure out using elephants in a, you know, very nice, not harmful way, um, but using elephant DNA to, uh, to try and figure out a cure for our mutation and uh, also some other rare cancers. So, you know, 
when you first talked about you know starting the foundation um one of the things that struck me is that your desire to do this is a, is a lot like a lot of businesses that are started right you go through a process or you're on a journey and there's something that's missing and you go if i had had this right and so am i right in that assessment it's like if i i, I want to create for other people what I wish would have been available or what I feel like could have been helpful to me in my journey. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a, there's resources for LFS patients. Uh, Lee Farmini syndrome is what the, the mutation in the TP53 gene is called. Uh, there are uh, websites and support groups that I had to kind of find on my own and there wasn't a lot of direction. You basically just get the diagnosis from your doctor and they're like, okay, well, here are some kind of medical things we can do, but what happens with like emotional support or financial needs or things like that? And we're also doing uh, more than just my mutation. It's going to be for all genetic mutations. And the reason why it's hereditary and genetic is Hereditary obviously means it's passed down from parent to child, like Brody's mutation is, but they think that my mutation may have started when I was, um, when my mom was pregnant with me. And so then that's a genetic mutation, but it's not hereditary because I didn't get it from anybody. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I want to, I really want to try and create a comprehensive resource for people. So if they are diagnosed with a genetic mutation, they have somewhere to go, they can give them next steps. And so you talked about um, a little bit about your village or your community, right? Being there, your support system. Um, what are some other things that you've learned on, on your, on your road, on your, in your journey? Well, I'd say that, uh, you know, even though you have a big village and community that's probably bigger than you thought it was going to be, because that certainly happened with me, it is your journey as a, as a cancer patient and as, an, as a cancer survivor. Uh, you know, even my grandma, she was well-meaning, but she's like, oh, well, you know, Aunt Shirley went through chemo and she kept working and she didn't have a problem. And for me, when I was 31, my first uh, chemo treatments just knocked me down. Like I could not function. My mom had to come down and stay to take care of Brody. And, you know, each person has such unique experience and how their body reacts to treatment and surgeries and everything that, uh, you know, it's people like to empathize and they like to talk about what's happened to them, which is really good to hear because again just like with Greer and I talking about Boy Scouts it gives you something to connect with them on but at the same time you can't compare yourself to them because it's just it's such a unique journey for each person that there's there's really no comparison and you know so that's that's something I definitely learned because at first I was like oh it surely didn't have effects I shouldn't and then I felt guilty because mm. I was sitting you know, in front of my toilet for six hours because I couldn't keep anything down. 
No, that's such a good point that all of it, and, and it's not just the health journey, it's any journey that we have, right? That everybody's journey is different. And while we can learn things from other people and what they've gone through, to have expectations that people should have the same experience that you have or the same experience that someone else had, particularly when you're you're saying, you know, buck up, right? Just you know, suck it up and, and keep moving. You know, it's, I, I will own this. It, it's been one of those things where I have had in a number of different areas of my life um, had to, to face that just because I was able to move through something doesn't mean I have a right to expect that someone else should have the same experience that I have. So I, I love that that's something that you learned on your journey. Yeah. And I, that's it. another lesson for sure is, you know, you hear the word survivor and everyone tells you, oh, you're so strong and you're so amazing and all that. But just because you're a survivor and this could be from cancer or trauma or, you know, whatever, you know, you've survived in your life. I think to a certain extent, all of us are survivors. It doesn't mean that you have to be strong. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, I've, like I said, I've had a number of nights, you know, I would cry into, you know, my husband's shoulder and I was just like sobbing like a, like a child because it's just, I didn't know how I was going to navigate my life moving forward because I was so scared. And um, so, you know, you have to be strong to be a survivor, but that doesn't mean you have to be strong 100%. Um, you, and you, forgive me, I my, I dropped off the call for a moment, so I might have missed something. But you talk about having a, uh, a, a, a network or a support group that it be, it's bigger than you imagine. And I don't know if you had touched on that, but can you talk about like sort of people came out the woodwork? for you, I would imagine. Yeah, it was incredible. Like, I mean, it, Whitney was like the, the hub of the circle, I would say for sure. When uh, I had uh, my cancer, uh, I, it, I mean, every time, but I think especially um, the, the second time and I was going through everything, uh, she started a munchery, which it doesn't exist anymore, but it was like a food delivery service. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, oh, make donations to this because then while Danielle's going through treatment, you know, or she doesn't have to cook, her husband doesn't have to cook, you know, and people that maybe I just knew their name, like they were in my sphere um, because we were lobbyists together or, you know, something like that, or they were a friend of a friend and they were donating or they were coming by and providing meals. You know, I had a colleague who now is my really good friend when um, I was undergoing treatment when the eclipse happened, you know, the really cool solar eclipse. And I didn't have glasses because we, you know, we were all homebound. And so we, you know, we didn't go out and get glasses. And so she brought the the cool glasses that you, you know, had to use in order to, to watch the eclipse. And I mean, it was incredible. I, people and, thinking about some of the little things that you just don't think about, but yeah. they knew that you still needed to be a part of the world, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a picture of me sitting in my, or, you know, kind of in, you know, just 
with my drains and all the stuff from my surgery and uh and i was out there watching the eclipse so it was it was and that's what i want to do with her jen is i want to provide that so that when people get diagnosed they feel like there's someone in their corner already um, that can support them awesome so what what do people do um obviously you start with uh just regular screenings right so yeah. obviously you would recommend everybody get your regular screening screenings which would be mammograms and colonoscopies at a certain age and and so forth What's the next, what are the, the next levels up from there? Well, I think something that a lot of people will do, and I've heard this in a number of cases for people who have been diagnosed with stage four cancer, is they just ignore things. I mean, my grandmother uh, died in her 50s because she ignored a lump on the side of her chest wall for a year. She's like, oh, it's nothing. It'll go away. And I think having body awareness and just if something if something feels wrong or, you know, apart from just regular screenings, make sure you go check in with your doctor, you know, on an annual basis. But also if something just feels off, don't ignore it because, you know, uh, just like I was talking about with false positives, you go in, you say, oh, my gosh, I'm having vertigo. I can't, you know, figure this out. It's really difficult. They try a couple of things, maybe they do a brain MRI, it's nothing. And then you try other, um, you know, avenues to fix the problem. But, you know, you know, you don't have to worry that you waited a year or two. And then all of a sudden you have a brain tumor that they can't uh, take out. So just listening to your body, you're, you know, the person who can um, take the best care of yourself. And, and so that would definitely be my advice. And if you have a history of cancer, I would see if you could get tested for genetic mutations. I'm a huge proponent of that because just like with BRCA, if you know you're going to have a 100% chance of getting some sort of reproductive cancer and you're in your 40s or 50s and um, you know, you are okay with getting a mastectomy. You know, they have great implants now. <laughs> it's not like it used to be when my grandma had cancer. So there's a lot of options. Um, but yeah, just taking care of yourself and, and listening to your body. I want to yeah. ask you this, Danielle, because you are, you're an advocate by trade, right? That That is your job. And I'm wondering how much that has played a part in you really standing up for yourself, right? Through through your journey and how someone who isn't used to standing up for themselves, particularly when it comes to health, because doctors can be, some doctors can be, some health plans, some insurance companies can be um, a little dismissive. Right. And you're coming in. I, I will say this. Our, our father, uh, Greer, and our, my father, um, he had lung cancer. And for years, he had been complaining about what was going on in his body. And they kept telling him sort of like, there's there's nothing going on. You're, you know, um, he was like, I can't breathe. They sent him with a, an oxygen tank. Right. And he's like, well, it, but it's painful. And in the end, at the point at which we found out it was cancer, it was too late. 
man, he only survived six weeks after his diagnosis, but had, and I don't know that he needed to have advocated in a different way or what needed to happen. But my, again, my question is, if you're not used to sort of standing up for yourself and advocating and people are telling you, you know, there's nothing wrong, how can you- your head. Right. How, you know, you're willing to not put your head in the sand, but people are telling you there's nothing wrong with you. You know, how, how can they stand up for themselves in, in those situations? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to start a foundation is to give people a resource so that they can go into their doctor and be very specific about it and say, you know, and there's always going to be that challenge if you have a dismissive doctor. I've talked to my mom about this. I'm like, change your doctor. I'm like, if you do not, if you're not getting Absolutely. the answers, you know, even if you have an HMO, you can change your doctor. Um, it's becoming harder these days because there seem to be less doctors out there. But, um, but you know, if one person isn't listening to you, go to the next person until you find someone that does listen. And, and so the information that, you know, we're just getting our website up and running now, but I want to make sure that if someone says, oh my gosh, I just got diagnosed with BRCA and their doctor isn't being very helpful, then our website and, you know, our support network can say, okay, well, here are the things you need to do. Here are the things you need to ask. Here's how you need to ask them. Because sometimes it's, it's, it's just the specifics of the question because you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. So that's a, another uh, piece of it. But yeah, it can be very frustrating. And I had to go through it even with my insurance after having an established relationship with UCSF to do my full body MRIs. My insurance and the medical group tried to say, oh, well, you can do this in Sacramento. Well, the answer in Sacramento was to give me 10 separate MRIs to cover my body. Um, you know, leg, right leg MRI, left leg MRI, when UCSF had a full body MRI machine. And so I spent hours on the phone trying to uh, get that fixed and eventually did. But yeah, it, it takes a lot. And so I want to provide that um, provide that direction and that ability for people to, to advocate for themselves. What do you say about a second opinion? Is that a sort of a myth? Is that a, if your doctor says, oh, it, you've got cancer or you've got whatever, how, well, one, how important is a second opinion? Is is it usually pretty accurate? I'm, I know you're not giving medical advice, so I'm not saying, <laughs> no, ignore that and do this. Um, yeah. But my, my concern would be that people would delay treatment trying to get some sort of a second opinion where it nowadays technology is probably pretty uh, accurate. But what do you say about a second opinion? Well, I think they're very important. I actually, even um, though I was, I was kind of moving down the road of treatment, I was kind of setting things up to where I could get a second opinion to confirm what you know, the doctor had said, um, uh, depending on the type of cancer, the doctors may do a second opinion, like with another, uh, like I had Stanford University look over the same uh, medical records that my doctors looked over. 
But if that's not happening, I absolutely encourage a second opinion. If you, hopefully you can get one in a reasonable amount of time. I think there are some rules based on you know being able to access that. Sometimes you have to fight your insurance a little bit. Um, sometimes you can start going down a road in terms of, okay, well, everyone knows you need to get this surgery. So let's just get the surgery out of the way. And then we can talk about what type of chemo, when to do it, you know, uh, how it should be administered. So, you know, I would, I would absolutely encourage that for all things because it's your body, right? It's your life. And, you know, if you have any sort of hesitation or concern, then there are a lot of doctors out there. In fact, there was just a bill passed, speaking of my day job, that would allow for uh, Medi-Cal recipients to have access to an NIH Cancer Institute um, uh, doctor for a second opinion because it- you know, that's the National think, Institutes of, of Health, correct? And I yeah, and just because okay. you know you're you know you you don't have a high income or you know you have other you know some sort of other reason why you're on Medi-Cal, um, you know you shouldn't be limited in your options to take care of your own body and your own health. And so I think that was a really good bill, and um, I was excited to to see that. I'm actually excited to retire so I can start lobbying on the things. That- <laughs> so I can start lobbying on you. You know. have a long way to go before that happens. So um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna start to wrap this up. And you've talked about the foundation. How can and I know that you're just getting started, and so there are pieces that still need to be put into place. But you actually have an event coming up, and so talk a little bit about that and what that is for. Um, and we can certainly have you back on the show uh, another time to continue the conversation and talk about the things that the foundation is doing as you continue to grow. Yeah, thank you. I love that. And uh, and I should say, I should have started with this, but Whitney, uh, you're part of our board. So you're coming in from the ground up and you're you're helping uh, bring bring this to a successful place, and we're very excited to have you have you participating and, and helping us. Um, I'm honored to be a part. So thank you. We uh, we have an event on September 18th. It's at High Hand Nursery and Cafe in Loomis. Um, it's a brunch, and uh, you're gonna be able to get a little elephant planter and plant your own succulent and take it home with you. Um, you know, it's a hundred dollars a ticket, which, you know, apart all the profits and every dime, except for what we have to pay for the brunch goes towards Virgin. And we're hoping to, um, provide already some financial support, uh, through a hardship grant process, um, that, uh, they have at the Lee-Framini Syndrome Association. Um, and, you know, we're kind of getting some startup costs and everything taken care of, but we're very excited. The details, I think, are, are going to be on a QR code or something at some point. There it is, and uh, <laughs> um, we'd love to have you there. We need to have RSVPs by, um, like, I think this is going to come out on the uh, 8th or 9th, but um, by uh, the Monday before the 18th, which the event's on September 18th. And uh, we'd love to have you there. And if not, you can make a donation and help get the get the foundation off the ground. 
What day of the week is the 18th? It's a Sunday. A Sunday. Okay. Sunday brunch. You can. Yeah, you know. I think we need to be there. <laughs> I'm sure Whitney have... will be there because she's on the board. I will. Uh, be yeah, there. I, I, maybe I she'll let so, me be yeah. her plus one. <laughs> we can make that happen. I'm sure. Um, do you have a final question, Greer, as we wrap this up? Um, or a thought? Just, just one more. Well, I have a thought and a question. So my question really quickly is when people go to this website or when they get involved with your organization, they're going to be, in addition to an array of resources and links and things to, to places, they're going to be actual people who will hold their hands through their journey is that how this is going to work i hope so that's my intent i want to create a volunteer network so that you know when people get that diagnosis they have someone they can call i mean i you know i'm always going to be available um, but i want to make it something where uh, no matter where you live uh, there's someone that can that can help you um that's you know not a right now goal but that's you know, something I see as part of the vision of the foundation. So ultimately, you'd like people who are cancer survivors themselves to be a part of that network to volunteer. Is, the, is that a part of the vision? Yeah, survivors or caregivers or family members, you know, someone okay. who's just gone through, gone through it and understands and can empathize. I mean, you know, if you can call uh, the American Cancer Society has a 1-800 number and you can call to get resources, that sort of thing. I'd love to have something where, you know, whether it's through email or some other method that people can, can access a support network to make okay. sure that they don't feel like they're alone. So they don't have to be, the volunteers don't have to be professionals and oncologists and all that. No. Just people who have compassion and understand the, the, the journey and the, the emotional um, toil that, yeah. that having a diagnosis might take on a person. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. I, I just, I want to thank you so much for being willing to share your story Um sharing obviously very personal information about yourself and your own health. Obviously there are HIPAA laws out there for a reason <laughs> and people don't have, to, you know, they don't have to share and that's their right to do. And we respect that when they don't want to, but it is so helpful when people do, um, you know, reveal personal information about their health because it does help so many other people that are going through, the same thing or something similar or even something different, but just knowing that there is a, a um, you know, a, a, a family out there of people who are compassionate and genuinely care. So I want to thank you for sharing your story with us on Life Limits thank and you. Well, I mean, the, the body is the vessel for the soul and you got to take care of your body and you need to make sure that um, you're your own advocate and you can um, do what you need to do to make sure that you can stay as healthy as you can for as long as you can. And just being aware and talking about it and taking the mystery or, you know, as some people perceive it, shame out of it is you know really important to me. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Oh, we want to thank you um, for being here. If you are interested in 
attending the event. If you're in the Sacramento area or willing to come to the Sacramento area, you can get the information either through the QR code that's on the screen now, or you can use the link that is scrolling across the bottom. If you're uh, not in the area, can you just donate? I was going to say, if you're not in the area, you can just <laughs> donate. So, um, <laughs> and yes, if you're not in the area, can't come to the area, you are welcome to donate. And over the course of um, the next bit of time, we can change the show notes as the information is updated with the um, web address and the other information. We can ch change the show notes to reflect that information so that you will have what you need beyond September 18th. So with that, we want to thank you, Danielle, first of all. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. And then we want to thank you, our listeners, and for the first time, our viewers, um, for being with us for this episode of Life lemons and lemon drops. And until next time, take care.